Welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name is DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation, you know, about current police issues without you, my listener, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I wouldn't listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. So we're not going to go there. But let's take a look at today's topic. Today, I wanted to talk about common myths around intelligence-led policing. And you might say, well, you know, we don't, we don't do intelligence-led policing. We, we do ComStat. We do, that's fine. I've found that these myths are, frankly, transferable over to any kind of change in law enforcement. But I did want to focus on ILP because I know a lot of you are, are headed that way. So, you know, during my conversations with law enforcement, law enforcement executives, I'm asked all the time, hey, isn't intelligence-led policing just for large agencies? <laughs> no. But this is perhaps the number one misconception surrounding ILP. You know, so much so that, frankly, I decided to put some more thought into this. What are some of these myths surrounding intelligence-led policing? And, and you may come up with some that I haven't, but, but here are the ones that I've come up with. I've, I've come up with four points, and we're going to start with Intelligence-led policing has its roots and concepts from the FBI and other national-level agencies, and the federal system is nothing like ours. Therefore, it won't work for us. That's just false. Now, now granted, this is a long-held belief and generally rooted in truth that the national law enforcement agencies and local law enforcement agencies, eh, typically we don't play well together. But along with that belief and not holding with the truth, is that the federal and local agencies do not deal with the same problems. We do deal with the same problems, just with larger or smaller quantities. For instance, 9-11, you know, it taught us that the communication breakdown between federal and local agencies, frankly, caused a severe security risk that not only affected certain areas, it affected the nation as a whole. You know, for instance, the hijackers themselves were doing flight training in smaller cities all around the Southeast typically, but the information wasn't shared on those that perhaps were on a watch list. So intelligence led policing happening at the federal level and perhaps not at the local level at the time as much as it is today, but those pieces of data never came together. So in the same way, we need to think of our agencies not solely in respect to their size, but part of a larger whole, I mean, we all know this, right? <laughs> How many times have we had uh, some guy that constantly doing crime in our area? You know, I've spoken to a lot of agencies, even my own, that say, gosh, you know, just, just as long as he's not doing it here, <laughs> get him across the border. Okay, I get it. But what if we did this as a whole? What if we used our intelligence with our neighboring agencies to understand the patterns? Criminals don't care. They don't care which, which agency they're in. Uh, you know, a lot of times they use those boundaries against us. And, and intelligence-led policing, no matter the boundaries, could very well help us understand that pattern and maybe when they're going to come back. And, you know, hey, here's a thought. Work together on these problems. I know, I know. Your chief doesn't like your sheriff or your sheriff doesn't like your chief. Or Listen. That time needs to go, right? We need to be working together 
to do this because in, in the world we are today, criminals don't just get up in their city, go commit crime in their city and go back to their house in their city. No, that just that doesn't happen as much as perhaps it used to. Way too mobile now. So the better each agency understands their crime patterns around particular crimes, then they're able to share that information with neighboring agencies, thus working together to attack the bigger crime pattern in their geographic area as those around them. So it, it is completely applicable. Granted, it started heavily at the federal area. And yes, they were handing that down. Hey, everybody should do this. Everybody should do this. But it was because they realized that they needed local agencies information because they were as blind to ours as we are to theirs. So that's point one. Let's look at number two. Uh, this came from directly from a chief who's now a friend of mine. We're a small city. We know our crimes. We don't need some new way of policing telling us what's going on in our city. We know that. Now, obviously, the first question, if I were snide and I'm not, to come out of my mouth would be, then why do you have any crime? Because if you know everything that's going on and you know where it's going to happen and you know who's going to do it, then that would lead me to believe that this is Mayberry and there is no crime. But that's just not true, is it? Well, this is a very commonly held belief among smaller rural agencies. We all know that good cops with some years under their belt have an excellent sense of what's going on in their city. No doubt. These are the folks that the rookies can rely upon to give them the best start on the understanding of the crime in their city. I've found that within each department I've ever worked in. And there are a number of these veteran cops with this good information and sense about their city. As a matter of fact, when I started uh, the intelligence-led policing division in my city, there, there was a particular road officer, and she had this little black book. And we all knew it. We've all known it for years. And But she didn't realize what she was doing when she would get out with somebody or she would lock somebody up or she was working on uh, particular investigations. She made notes. Oh, okay. This guy is uh, this person's brother, and uh, they spent time in you know, just giving the uh, understanding for her of the lay of how all of this works. You know, for instance, you know, we, we had a we had a family here in town that uh, every single male child in the family uh, was called man as a first name. Well, when you when you go to a, an incident that may include one of them, you say, well, who did it to a, a witness? And they'll say, well, man did it. Well, which one? Well, they, they weren't sure. Well, just that one. But which one? They weren't there. So part of her book was understanding which one was which. What's the what are the real names? You know, and 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 whose uh, brother are they? And and I went directly to her, and I said, "Hey, can can I get an understanding of that book? You have a fantastic understanding of what is and has been going on. We can do more on that. But let me start there. So." You know, I've also found that each of these cops have expertise and specific knowledge in different areas. And unfortunately, very rarely do they come together to put this information in one location that everyone can access. I mean, again, one of the detectives that worked with me all the time sat right across from me. Uh, his name was Steve. And, and, and we would go out at least once a week as we were working on our cases because we were looking for a suspect, or perhaps we had a warrant on somebody and we needed to go find them. 
and we get our cases together. We get in the car and uh, you know, flip a coin. Who's are we going to look for first? And inevitably, I would open one of his files and he would be looking for the same person I was looking for on the same day. Now, egg on our face, right? But how often does this happen? We're sitting directly across from each other, but we're working different zones, different beats, different districts, maybe even slightly different crime types. But again, we can't assume that they're all going to be, well, I'm, I'm a burglar and that's all I do. I never break into a car. We, we know that's crazy. Burglars will do that as well. And, and so we learned very quickly, we should start working together because we kept seeing you know, the, the same folks. Well, I encourage the command staff of these agencies I work with to choose one of these veteran officers as their intelligence officer. If you don't know who to start with, start with one of them. Start with, with, with Julie, for instance, that, that had that book, right? She'd be fantastic at it because she's already doing it whether she knew it or not. We'll further train them in intel and give them what they need to gather that information and utilize it to better the department. I tell these agencies that they're already embracing the idea of intelligence-led policing. Again, whether they realize it or not, now it's time to, to put it to work. Another quick story about that, you know, the, you know, we're small, we know where it is. We didn't need that when I started in 1926 and I don't need it today. That's, that's one of my pet peeves. As a matter of fact, as I look at my computer screen, on, on my computer screen, it says the most dangerous phrase in the language is, because we've always done it this way. And, th and that's, when we get into that as law enforcement, then, then we are setting ourselves up for continuing our pattern and not advancing with the criminals. Because criminals are advancing. They're advancing in technology. They're advancing in how they do what they do. We have to advance as well. So I was, I was actually teaching a class and, and a chief, again, we're, we're good friends. He actually said that in my class, stopped my class. He said, but DJ, you know, I don't need any of that. I don't, I don't need to do this intelligence led policing thing. I got this. We, we weren't doing this 30 years ago and we were still good then. So I said to him, I said, well, chief, I got a question for you. What, what kind of gun do you have on your side today? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, just, just you know, humor me here. What do you have there? And he said, well, I've got a Glock. Oh, okay. All right. But now, that looks like a pretty new one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the newest. It's the greatest. It's the latest. Uh-huh. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing then that you weren't carrying that Glock 30 years ago when you started. Well, no. No. Well, what were you carrying? Oh, Smith & Wesson wheel gun. Five shots. And I went, okay, so why did you move from one pistol to the next? I mean, if that was good enough for you 30 years ago to get the job done, why did you feel that you needed to go to the Glock? And he said, well, be because th this has got the, the latest safety measures and, and this holds more rounds and, and, and this will, will take more of a, a abuse if, 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 it, if I get in a, a fight or an altercation and it'll still work. And, and, this is, and he, he kind of trailed off and he looked at me and he said, okay, I get it. But isn't that funny? Why do we think of things like that as we need the newest, latest, greatest, but many times with our policing methodologies and our practices, we go, yeah, we're good. We're good. You know, yeah, sure. We haven't changed this in 20, 30 years, but we're, we're fine. But yet with our equipment, 
we always want to go. And the reason is because equipment is seen as crucial to life. And I would agree. I was on SWAT team for a long time. It's crucial to life. But, but wouldn't an advancement in, uh, in policing methodology towards something further like intelligence-led policing be an advancement to betterment, an advancement to a better and safer city? Sure it would. We have to start thinking in that way. Number three, intelligence-led policing is an expensive money drain that takes a good officer off the street and just wastes their efforts. Okay, I get this one a little bit because I've never, ever, ever, and I've, I've traveled the world and I've never spoken to an agency, I don't care where I've been, that has ever said, hey, DJ, we got all the officers we need. <laughs> we couldn't use another one. We've got plenty. Of course not. We're all doing the, well, just to do more with less there, chief. You're fine. No, we, we don't like that, right? But, but that is the state where we are. So I get that. But many administrators believe that creating an intelligence-led policing division takes you know, expensive software, expensive training, and the quote-unquote loss of a good officer. They see these super large agencies with expansive computer systems and large groups of intel analysts and believe that that's the only way to accomplish intelligence-led policing. That's just not true at all. The size of your intelligence unit can and should reflect the size of your department. Frankly, a very effective intelligence unit can consist of one officer, if that's along the lines of the size of your department. Likewise, the tools used to assist with the intelligence unit can be relatively expensive. I mean, or inexpensive, excuse me. The key to finding inexpensive tools that fit your agency is to choose something that's easy to use. Maybe you already have it. Maybe it's already in your CAD. Maybe it's already in your RMS. I've worked with intelligence units, again, all over, and I've seen many, many ways to be successful, from simple pie charts on your computer that are already there and available to you, and spreadsheets to the most advanced computer programs. Let's get away from that for a minute. It's not how you do what you do. It's the purpose of why you're doing it. Yeah, follow me here for just a minute. Why did your agency want to begin this in the first place? Whether it's intelligence-led policing or comp stat or, or community-oriented, why are we doing this? Well, in general, these are to reduce crime, to be a better crime fighter, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Methods are important. And, and in later episodes, I'll cover some of those common methods. But there are a great number of paths to the same goal. It really all depends on what makes sense to your agency, and it does not have to be expensive. Again, I've literally worked with agencies that have one intelligence officer, and that's all they could do. They got them a laptop, but the things that come many times on the computer in front of you can do, coupled with your CAD and RMS, and, and, and maybe, maybe you've got a county GIS, right? There are things that are already at your fingertips that you may not realize could be used for intelligence-led policing. And if that's where you need to start, it's a fantastic place to start. It gets you in the realm of it. Number four, and this is probably one of the biggest ones, um, it's too difficult. We have no idea how to do this and have no one to help us build this program. Let me tell you a quick story. I was sitting at my detective's desk many, many years ago, and my chief walked over to me, and we, it was a bullpen, right? We didn't have offices, and we're all sitting there, and the chief walks over and puts two magazines on my desk. 
One's a IECP Chiefs and one's a Georgia Chiefs. And both of them, and I still have the magazines, both of them had a title on them, on, on the cover, about intelligence-led policing is the new way. It's where you should go. And I looked at them, and I slid them back to him, and I said, I think you'll be very good at that. <laughs> and got a chuckle from the bullpen, right? He slid them back to me, and he goes, no, no, that's you, and that's right now. I want you to start this. What do I do? I don't know. Start, start here. I, I went to a class. I went to a seminar. And, and this is the way to go. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to do business. Okay. So I started from there. I read the articles. I did a lot of research. I did find training that I went to, became a certified crime analyst, and, 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 and then looked at what we had at our fingertips to do what we do. And I, I did the spreadsheets and I, I did the pie charts and I, I used my RMS and I utilized my GIS department uh, until I could figure out further where we needed to go. And I got that ball rolling. And the whole time I kept thinking, man, it would be nice to ask somebody, ask somebody, what did you do wrong? How do I, how do I avoid, you know, going down a path that maybe you saw and how do I, I quickly found out there was nobody in my side in Metro Atlanta that was doing this. So we figured it out on our own. Did we make mistakes? Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely we did, but learned from those. So I implore you to reach out to others around you, uh, you know, an, another division or, or, uh, you know, maybe the sheriff's department or, or somebody, or how about a university? There are so many universities now that are doing uh, criminal justice slash intelligence courses not saying you need to go to the course, but perhaps you could bend the ear of the instructor. Anything you can do to help with that. It's not really that difficult when you get down to it if you want to just, you know, step in. Now, granted, you know, with the classes you go to teach you, you know, um, predictive mathematics by hand, and, and that can be a little daunting for some people, but I'm not saying you have to go that far. The first step is understanding the data. The first step is understanding what you can do or should do or haven't been doing with that data. And once you figure that out and get it rolling, even in a small function, you'll find that you start to be successful because you, you send something out to a, uh, a patrol division. Or maybe it's that one officer, you know, buddy of yours came up with him, right? And you go, hey, man, I found this. I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to put this out to everybody, but check into this. And boom, it happens and it works. And then guess what happens? Everybody's going to start talking about that. Everybody's going to start going, well, how did you do that? Oh, well, uh, you know, Bob up in Intel gave me this information. And, and then, then it starts to roll. Then it starts to move, right? It's not too difficult. And you do have people there. As I spoke about, you know, that, those, those veteran officers that have that, that fantastic wealth of knowledge reach back. So these are just some of the common myths around intelligence-led policing. You know, there are more <laughs> that I've heard, but these are the recurring ones that I hear all the time. And again, these could be transferred over to any type of policing methodology that you're moving to. Let's face it, we're cops. We don't like to change. We don't like change. We have to be proven. You know, I, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri is a show-me state, right? And, and that's still kind of how I am. You bring me something, that's all fine and good, but you better show me that it works. And that's going to take some of this, but it works.
it works very, very well. So now I want to switch gears. Something I want to do in these podcasts, I want to take a look at some crazy but true police blotter stories. Uh, Let's see what I have today. A man reported that someone had used his password and hacked into his Farmville account on Facebook.com, and that as a result, he lost a year's worth of work and all his crops, and he wanted somebody arrested. Officer told him that was a civil matter and not criminal. I'm not making these up. I've literally found these online. Six men, their faces covered with red bandanas, got out of a Jeep Cherokee carrying a knife, a baseball bat, a billy club, and a rolling pin. Witness told police, I knew I, when I saw the rolling pin that something bad was going to go down. Because I guess the knife and the baseball bat didn't figure that out. And the last one here is actually a correction from the San Carlos paper. Uh, they corrected a earlier report they had done saying that a headline on an item uh, in the February 5th edition uh, incorrectly stated stolen groceries and should have read homicide. Yeah, glad they corrected that. Listen, as we go along this journey together, uh, I may some, say some things you don't agree with, or, or maybe you do agree with me and maybe even have a topic you'd like me to cover, or maybe you have a funny police blotter story you'd like to share with me. I encourage you to email me at offthebeat at motorolasolutions.com to give me your thoughts and ideas. Stay diligent, stay educated, and stay safe, and I'll talk to you next time.